Mindy McKnight is a wife, mom of six, and CEO of the multi-million subscriber YouTube channel, Cute Girls Hairstyles. Mindy pioneered YouTube and has raised teenagers and little kids through a digital age and picked up all kinds of knowledge and wisdom along the way. Today, she shares with me her best tips on raising kids in a technology-driven world, including things like cell phone contracts, what age she recommends to give a kid a phone, how to stay in the loop on what they're going through and understand the newest apps coming out, how she's adjusted for each kid in her family, including one who has autism, and what to do when things don't go as planned with teens and tech. All right, you guys, today I have such an exciting guest who is a very big deal in the hair world and the YouTube world, and she's a personal friend of mine and someone I look up to so much as a mom and an entrepreneur, and her name is Mindy, and she is, um, like I said, a mom, an entrepreneur. She just launched a hair product line. She's amazing. So say hi, Mindy. Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, so Mindy, let's get started with, first of all, how Cute Girls Hairstyles came to be just kind of the brief version of that. And that that was really what started everything, right? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, short version, I was a mom of four girls at the time and doing hair every morning, just like every other mom on the planet. Only I decided to make my life a little easier and start just taking pictures of the hairstyles so we could more quickly get the kids to pick in the morning. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, we started uploading it onto a little blog space at the time, and we turned it into videos eventually on YouTube, and it just blew up. I think moms just really related to it and also wanted great hairstyles. So from there, it just took on a life of its own. That's so awesome. So what year was that that you guys started? 2008 is when I started the blog, and 2009 was when we kicked it to YouTube. Yeah, so your girls were little at the time. They were now little. they're like all grown up and have careers of their own, but... um were they all totally on board when you guys started? I don't think, yeah. I mean, I don't think that we knew enough about it to have them have like a strong opinion. It was just like, you know, mom doing our hair in the morning and we just happened to be snapping pictures. So I don't think we had the vision at the time to think it would turn into this crazy thing that it is now. Yeah, that's so awesome. So then you guys just kept going, it kept growing. And then at what point did uh, Brooklyn and Bailey and Cameron, uh, at what point did they all decide now we're going to do our own thing too? So Brooklyn and Bailey decided at the time when we started, they were nine. And by the time they were 13, they had decided they wanted their own YouTube channel because people were asking about them all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And there wasn't really a platform on my channel for them to talk about their own lives or what they liked. Um, And so they started theirs when they were 13. And then Camry was also like right around 13 when she started hers. Okay, awesome. So let's just get right into, you have a book called Viral Parenting where you talk all about like being a mom in the technology world and how you've navigated that. And I have to say, I'm so impressed that your girls seem like so normal and they seem like such well-adjusted kids who are kind and grateful and hard workers and not entitled, which is something I worry about all the time with my kids. So so let's just get into some of that because I think that's so relatable for almost any mom. I, I mean, my kids are little and I'm already worried about these things. So um, so my first burning question is about cell phones. When did your girls start with their own cell phones and what, what do you think is appropriate? Like, what's your advice there? I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think the American Society of Pediatrics recommends not before 13 and also just COPPA laws in general for kids is starts right around 13. So like technically a kid can't even sign up for like a YouTube account on cell phones or any of those social media accounts until they're 13. So 
The looming kind of magic number across most platforms is like 13. Having said that, I think that every parent gets to decide that on their own and it's different for every kid. So I have Camry did great with a cell phone at 13, where I have another one that needed a little more time before she was mature enough to handle a cell phone. Yeah. So what do you feel like is a good marker? What's a good indication that a kid is ready for that? Um, I think it depends on how they want to use the cell phone. I think it depends on how the parents, why the parents are giving them a cell phone. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, for example, if the parents are only giving them a phone because they want to know where their kid is all the time, then maybe don't get them a smartphone. Maybe you just get them a cell phone where they can call mom and dad or, you know, like basic texting, but they don't get all the social media apps. So you don't open those doors too early. Um, or like a gizmo watch. Yeah, exactly. Like a gizmo watch. It, it just depends on the kid, but I think you can kind of tell. Also, you can try giving your child a cell phone and then if it's not working, take it away for a while. So yeah. don't be afraid to reverse decisions if you find out it's not working. Okay. I love that advice. And you guys are big on contracts too, right? Big on contracts. talk to me about that and about where that idea came from and how that works for you guys? Um, we just decided a long time ago that one of the best ways to keep people accountable is to make them put it in writing. Also, it helps because if you have a contract later, which inevitably happens when your child breaks a rule, Mm -hmm. you can pull the contract back out and they've signed the contract. So they have to be accountable then for the fact that they knew that information. It's not like, Oh, you never told me that, or I didn't understand. And you're like, no, cause it's right here in paper. Right. So, um, for us, we just have a contract for pretty much everything. We have a social media contract. We have a cell phone contract before they get a car. We have a car contract. You know, we even did one like a college contract. Like here's the college contract was much, much, much smaller, Mm -hmm. but it was just, you know, a few little sentences of like, here's our expectations of college. You know, like you need to actually go to class. You can't just fill your classes. Right. So, um, but it just keeps them accountable. I love that. So, um, and I know that you guys kind of outlined what you put in your contracts. And is that different with every kid or is it like we need to be fair and same across the board with everyone? I would always tell you that as parents, I, I, I mean, I have six kids. So I will tell you right from the get-go that every single child is different. Um, and we have like the basic contract that we start with, but then mm-hmm. sometimes we have to add things in. Sometimes we remove things in the book. The contracts are like really, really, really like intense. They're very, very detailed. Right. And that's simply because I wanted to give readers like the most exaggerated version of the contract and then they can eliminate, which is way easier than trying to put it back in yourself. Yes. So so if it doesn't work for your family or you think it's not a rule that you need to talk about, take it out, you know, just make the contract what works for your family. Yeah. And I love too, that you guys have a section in there where you're teaching parents like very basic social media tips, like here's how Instagram works. Here's how TikTok works. What is your advice though on staying on top of the brand new things that come out? Cause there's like a new app every week, I swear. So, and a lot of these are kind of, you know, the kids kind of keep it to themselves. They don't want the parents to know. So uh, what's your advice on, you know, staying on top of whatever's new and what your kids are using and how they're using their cell phones? Um, I mean, I have two first piece of advice is communication with your kids from the time they're tiny. If they can swipe a phone open, you need to be talking about technology with your kids. So, I mean, just beginning those conversations when they're so tiny so that they aren't like awkward and uncomfortable when they're older Mm -hmm. and that they are more capable of opening up and having those, like those harder conversations with you. 
So the second one for me is that you have to have like parents that you're also talking to. So you need to be online. If your kids are online, you need to be there too. Mm -hmm. But you need to have friends that are also online. I mean, your kids are networking every day at school. So like they're going to class, they're sharing the new apps, they're sharing how to get in and out of different things. And as parents, we kind of need to do the same thing. We need to be talking about that and sharing it too, so that we're keeping track of our kids. That makes so much sense. Um, Let's talk about texting, because I know that you also cover that in your book Mm -hmm. and keeping tabs on what your kids are doing, what they're saying. Um, Do you have advice there? And then, you know, especially with bullying, I worry about that so much with girls. You know, we have three girls and uh, maybe it goes it probably goes on with boys, too. I'm sure it does. But um, especially just girls can be so mean. So what's your advice with all of that? So I, this one doesn't always make me very popular, this statement, but I just say that there's no such thing as digital privacy. So my kids, you know, every kid is going to make the argument like my phone is my private space. So parents shouldn't have access to it. Mm -hmm. Or my phone is my journal or I, you know, all of my pictures are basically a diary or whatever. And they'll try to tell you that. And we just flat out tell our kids, first of all, you don't own your phone. We own your phone and we allow you to use it. Um, And second of all, like if you're online, I'm online. And that means I have the ability to check and spot check your phone at any time. So there's no such thing as like privacy in our home, because even if I'm not checking it, I remind my kids that people can get into their phones, their friends can get into their phones, um, people can access their cameras, hackers can get in, people can do screen records of Snapchats they send. I mean, like there's, it's not private, nothing on there is private. It's just not a private space. So they sh- there shouldn't be an expectation of privacy from your parents when there's no expectation of privacy from anybody else. So totally. for our kids, they just know that. And it's written into the contract. And again, it depends on the kid. You know, when they're first starting with a phone, maybe you check it a little more regularly. Um, I know some parents that start their kids with a cell phone access actually on the parent's phone. So they give them like social media apps that they can get into, but it's only off parents' phones. So then the parents are able to monitor it and keep tabs on what they're putting up on Instagram because it's always on their own phone. Right. So there's lots of ways you can do it, but spot checking definitely. And I think at least for me, having had teenagers, like you can get a good read on your kids when something's amiss, you yes. know, like you get a good feel for something's off, her behavior's changing or her attitude at home. So maybe I need to just check the phone. And just see what's happening and get, you know, you get in, you get in, check their photos, check their DMs, check their texts or whatever. And when I say check, I don't mean like I'm reading ad nauseum every single one. I'm kind of just scrolling and glancing, you know, for like trigger words. And then if Mm -hmm. I see something pop, then I kind of dive in a little deeper. Like, is this something I need to worry about? Oh my gosh, they said the word bullying. Let me see what's going on here. Is this something I need to check into? So I think that's a really good gauge of your kids and what's happening with them. So when you find something that's kind of alarming, how do you deal with that without like chasing your kid away from ever wanting to tell, like be open with you or talk to you about what's going on? Depends on what it is. If it's something that I'm not super concerned about, oftentimes I'll see if they can kind of figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. If it's something that I need to get involved in, then obviously, you know, you have to be able to, that's where that communication piece comes back in because you have to be able to go back to them and say, Hey, I'm noticing on your phone that, you know, you mentioned this kid's bullying, like it bullying you. Is this something you want to talk about? Or how are you feeling? What's happening? Can I help you? You know, is this something you need to handle on your own? Do I need to get involved? 
you know, that kind of stuff. And you have that conversation with them. But if you're doing it, I think not getting angry, if it's something, because sometimes like bullying is one where it's, you're worried about your child. But if you see something that you might be upset about, try not to get angry initially, or at least wait until you're calm to talk to him about it. And then have the, Hey, I noticed that there were some inappropriate pictures on your phone. Let's talk about why that's not okay, or what the definition of inappropriate is, or how this might make other people feel, or is it against the law for you to even have those images on your phone, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have those bigger combos. Yeah, which is so smart because their kids just don't think about how that's going to affect their career when they're trying to get a a job or something like that down the road. Their maturity is just not there. Which we do a lot of in our home. I will say one thing we do do when they have cell phones is we share stories. Mm -hmm. So technology can remove you and separate you as a family, but it also can bring you back together in a weird kind of way. So we have like, you know, our family text thread, which I'm sure you have with your own family, like your adults, right? And um, we share stories. So like if Sean and I see a Twitter story about somebody who was 15 and put up, um, you know, a racial slur that later came back to haunt them when they were 27 and now they're fired. Yeah. We'll send that article to the kids and we'll be like, look at what happened. Like, can you believe this? Like, this is why you don't put things like this up because they can come back later and hurt you or, you know, whatever it is. Sometimes it's funny memes and sometimes we're just sharing funny viral videos and we're having those conversations. But again, every time you do that, you're giving your kids examples of what not to do when it's not them. So it's not a personal story. So it's easier for them to talk about. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And and it is kind of nice that now we have those examples where, like, I remember seeing some of my friends in college dress up for Halloween and put, like, black people, yeah. like, you know, makeup for a black person on their face and dress up like a black person. And at the time, I didn't realize, like, oh, that could really hurt someone or that could come back to haunt you. And, you know, now it's like I think parents are so much more equipped to be able to say, hey, this— this is what this can look like for you when you're an adult or later on when you're trying to advance in your career. So at least we have, you know, that to be able to teach our kids and show our kids where I think our parents just had no idea, you know, no, to even no, warn of course us. They didn't. Yeah, we were the so, guinea pigs for sure, because yeah. we were the ones, you know, coming from one era where we were all analog. And then as adults, we're living in a digital like world. And so we're the, I always say we're the bridge. We're the Xennials, right? That are bridging analog and digital. That makes so much sense. So I want to talk about maturity with Instagram because I've worried a lot about this and how, how you know that your kid is ready for that. Because part of me feels like, oh my gosh, I want to give, give my kids a gizmo watch till they're in college because I just don't want them to feel like, oh, my friends don't care about me or I didn't get invited to this or I didn't get enough likes on this, which I do. I really appreciate that Instagram just is making these changes to take away like counts and things like that. But um, what is your advice with that? Because at at the same time where, you know, part of me wants to send my kid to college with the gizmo watch and the other part of me is like, no, I want to be able to influence them while they're still under my roof, while they're still in my home rather than keeping them sheltered all the way until they're an adult and then saying, here, here's a phone, figure it out, go to college, good luck. Um, I, I definitely think there's a maturity level that the kids have to attain before you introduce those things. And then you definitely need to be like a hyper-involved parent. 
I always say it's like, a, it's kind of a sliding scale. Like when you first give it to them, you need to be like really involved. Mm-hmm. And then over time as they earn your trust and you can see that they're not going to get into problems or they're not using them inappropriately, you know, you kind of just l- like lower how many times you're checking their phone, how, you know what I mean? How, how involved you are. And then at, over time, the goal always being that when they leave your house, they're equipped to not only do their laundry and cook their own food, but they're also equipped to handle their own social media and, and handle themselves on technology as well. So it's kind of a sliding scale and you're, it, you know, it just depends on when you start it, but I would like adamantly recommend that parents don't be so afraid of it, that they don't give their child those exposures because sending them out at 18 to start facing that when you have no control and you have no ability to rein them in if they go off track is just kind of setting them up for failure really. And also like kids nowadays, I mean, we live in a technology world. Like it's kind of not giving them access to those tools or social media. It really makes them behind their peers in a lot of ways when they get to college, because it is such a world that revolves around technology. So what is the, if you had to pick an age, if you had to pick like a, okay, most kids, you think this is the optimal time to hand them a phone or like help them start an Instagram account. Because I I think of like my maturity as a 12 or 13 year old in like middle school. There's no way I had the maturity to understand or to not take things super personally or to be emotionally, you know, mature enough to handle social media. But then like, I don't know, maybe toward the end of junior high, is high school a good time? What do you think is the best time for most kids? Again, I think it depends on the child, but Mm -hmm. I mean, I think most kids around 13 are capable of having a cell phone. Um, And I think that somewhere around 15, 14, 15, probably most of them are being introduced to social media of some sort. So um, I think, you know, it depends on the kid. It depends on the parent, but assuming that most kids leave between 17 and 18 from home, if you haven't started it by 15, that doesn't give you a very long window to like work with them and teach them how to appropriately use it. And I do have to say, I think kids now, because they're raised digitally, I I think they're just coming, literally coming more prepared to deal with what they face. Like, I don't know if you and I would have at 13 been capable of facing some of what they are, but it's like, because they grow up in it, they're just more capable of dealing with it. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. I mean, not that there's not problems still, not that you shouldn't be mindful and watchful, Just that I think when they're living it every day, breathing it, eating it, their friends are dealing with it. Like there's a lot of conversations about technology. They're just more prepared for it than we would have been at 13. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. shift into a different topic with raising kids since you guys have been through this six times now or you're you know still definitely in the thick of it with your kids being they seem to be so well adjusted they seem to be contributing citizens who aren't entitled how did you guys get to that point and what do you do in your family to make sure that you don't have kids who are spoiled or entitled or you know who know how to work hard and know how to be kind good humans (laughs) Um, I don't know if there's a magic recipe there. Um, I think that 
doing things like having, we always really emphasize traditions. I think having family traditions is a big one so that the kids are just always looking forward to certain things or they love being around their family. We have a lot of conversations. We're good as a family about talking about everything. I mean, we have the most open conversations about sex, about politics, about things that are happening in the world. You know, um, we talk about all of that stuff very openly with our kids from the time that they're pretty little. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's like in a less meaty way when they're little and then it escalates as they get older. But I think giving them chores, you know, keeping them grounded by making sure that they always have the expectation that to live in our home, they have to be a part of the ecosystem essentially mm-hmm. within our home and that they have to be contributing members of the ecosystem. So just things like that. I love family dinners. I mean, you need those analog moments still, even though your kids are digitally raised, you need all of those touch points going on vacations, you know, things like that, that keep them, keep you guys united and connected as a family. Yeah. And is there a time that you guys have like no cell phone zones or times or, um, you know, times where the technology goes away and you guys are just connecting as people? Yeah, we do. I mean, we travel when we travel, obviously, because we're out of the country, it eliminates some of the cell phone stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's always nice because then it becomes a less techno like technology area and time. Um, During dinner time, we try to make sure we put our cell phones away. And um, we love I and then of course, at night, but we don't we don't I don't know, I guess, we're that family that's like, stop doing your homework and go post on Instagram. So (laughs) (laughs) just because of what we do for work, sometimes we're maybe a little backwards in that area. So we don't really have like no tech zones. We just kind of make sure that they're always keeping balanced. We do have, I mean, you know how you can use on your phone screen time to set limits for your kids. So that's a good way. Like if you feel like I only want my child to have 30 minutes of tech time, on their cell phones, that's a really good way to monitor it because it just shuts it down when they hit their time limit. So then it's like they can choose when they have the time, but they only get a certain number every day. Yeah, that's a great tip. Um, How you mentioned a little bit like your family ecosystem and chores and how do you how do you guys go about with that with money and chores and keeping your kids accountable for being part of the family? Yeah. So we just, I mean, everyone always has chores and they're expected to do their chores. And in our home, they don't earn an allowance. We don't call it an allowance. We call it an income. And, um, if they don't do their chores, they don't get an income Mm -hmm. and it's all income based. So it's, it's, it's basically like a reflection of what they would experience in the real world. Like if you don't go to work and you don't do your job, you don't get a paycheck and then you lose potential rewards. Right. So for us, we kind of mirror the same thing. And from the time they're pretty small, we start implementing an income system where, you know, they're earning whatever it is, a quarter, and they have to also pay 25 cents towards a birthday party that they go to for their friends, you know, which is not a complicated mathematical skill. And obviously you're always making it to where they can afford it, where they can, it's like you're, you're, the ideal is that they're earning just enough money to be able to pay you for those little things but also put some away in savings so that then you're teaching them the skill of, I pay savings. You know, if you choose to pay a religious tithing, then you also pay your tithing, you know, plus I need to pay all of my expenses. And that's kind of how you start mirroring what they're going to experience as adults. Yeah. We've done the same with our kids and it's worked so well because for a while there, I was getting so tired of every time we went into Target, can I have this? Can I have that? I want this. I want that. Now I just look at them and say, did you bring your money? 
And if they yeah. didn't, I'm like, oh, I hate it when that happens. <laughs> yeah, and, shoot. Yeah. And it's like they get excited to get their jobs done because they want to have freedom to buy things that they want. So, yeah, that's worked super well for us, too. Um, so also, you're you- teaching them the value of a dollar because suddenly yes. when they're earning, you know, 25, 50 cents, whatever it is, and they have a doll that's $20 that's a lot more meaningful to them all of a sudden. Cause they realize like, I'm going to have to do all of these things over here to earn that one doll. Yes. So maybe I should take care of that doll. Totally. That's so true. So what do you do with teenagers who are like, I don't care if I earn any money. I don't want to do any of the jobs and I don't want to listen to the rules or I don't know. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that. Cause you seem like your kids are so great, but what do you do with pushback? I mean, I think it's the same as any other parent. You do natural consequences. So, I mean, it's like what you're doing when they're little, but it's like, well, shoot, if you don't have any money, you don't get to go with your friends to the mall this weekend, you know, Mm -hmm. and well, shoot, that's a bummer, you know, dang, I bet you wish you could go to Six Flags this weekend with them. I mean, and kids care about that stuff, you know, or you can always try escalating it a little bit with, I mean, if it's phone related, I wouldn't just yank the phone for no reason. Like typically at our house, like we wouldn't just get mad at him and give me your phone, but we would pull the contract out again and be like, Hey, you having your cell phone or access to Netflix or whatever it may be is only on the condition that you're also doing and maintaining the economy of the house. And right now that's not happening. So we're going to remove the distractions for a while. So we're going to need to remove the phone or the access to Netflix. And then as you start picking your economy back up, then you can have access to those again. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, Okay, so let's talk about having kids who are YouTube stars. Okay. And, you know, that it's like the number one thing or maybe the, in the top three things that kids say they want to be when yeah. they grow up now. So if you, if someone who's listening to this has a child who is saying, I want to be on YouTube, I want to start a YouTube channel, um, What's your advice there as far as letting kids do things like that and then also being worried about their privacy, being worried about having them grow up and, you know, something blowing up that maybe they're going to have a different life than what you had envisioned? Or I don't know. I'm probably making too many assumptions here, but I know that there are parents who worry about, is that the best thing for my kid to let them do that? And then what if it does grow? And is that going to be good for them? And is that what I really want for them? What do you think about that? Um, so under 13 anymore on YouTube specifically falls under the COPPA laws. And the like if your kids are looking to do it just to make a bunch of money, like under 13, they're not going to do that anymore just because the new FTC and the COPPA laws, right? Right. Um, over 13, I mean, if my kids came to me and said that, I would actually be like, okay, how can I help? And here's why, only because I really believe that Anytime my child wants to be a creator versus a consumer, mm-hmm. we're making steps in the right direction. Even if it turns into nothing other than them just tinking around with a camera or editing, they're learning skills, right? Those are all skills. And so that's way better than them just turning on Netflix and vegetating and doing nothing while yeah. somebody else is entertaining them. True. So for me, I mean, like, even if it didn't turn into a YouTube star, if your child falls in love with using a camera. Maybe their potential is to be a photographer, or maybe they love, they find out they love working with music and they become an audio editor, or maybe they figure out they love editing and they, they start teaching themselves, you know, iMovie or Final Cut Pro or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. All of those things are actual jobs when they get older. Those are life skills. So like with Daxton, um, when he was younger, he was big time into watching like YouTube videos and he loved like the technology side of things. And with him having autism, he was like hyper-focused in that direction. And we were like, listen, he can create things or he can consume them. And right now he's only consuming. So we took him and putting him, put him into like little coding classes. And it's kind of set up like karate where they have little levels and they earn these little belts. Mm -hmm. But as he's learned those skills, like as he grows, when he gets out of that, he actually is certified to then go like work at Facebook or Google. Like it's a coding class. They're learning how to code websites and code apps and make videos and things like that, that are skills way above where I am in technology. And it's all just because we listen to like what his natural interests were anyway. So there's a way to flip it. Like if they are interested in tech stuff, just flip it to make sure that they're still creating and learning skills as opposed to just consuming. I love that. That's such great advice. And also to just encourage your kids in a direction that they're naturally inclined or that they're naturally interested in. My mom um, says that, and I still have vague memories of this, that when she would take me to Nordstrom, that I would just stand there and stare at the guy playing the piano. Um, and that she was like, this is kind of weird that this little kid is is so, you know, just super intrigued by that. And then I ended up studying piano really seriously and being a piano performance major in college um, for my first three semesters at least. But that's just, I do think that kids have, it's funny how they're inclined to different things that they love. And um, okay, I want to talk about Daxton since you brought him up and his challenges and just what that's been like to be an autism mom. And was that something that um, you feel like you ever thought you might come across or was that like kind of a shock for you? How has that been for you and your family? No, it was definitely a shock for us. We were not prepared. I mean, Daxton is adopted. And Mm -hmm. when you fill out the adoption paperwork, oftentimes they will ask you on there, would you be willing to accept a special needs child? And at the time, knowing that we had four other children at home, we just didn't feel like that was probably a good fit for our family. And so we had checked, you know, that that would not probably be an option for us. So when we got Dax, I mean, by all indications, everything was totally, um, you know, just completely behaviorally normal. Mm -hmm. And so we were very surprised when he was not neurologically typical. So he was diagnosed with ADHD in kindergarten and um, all three subtypes. And then it wasn't until he was in second grade that he was diagnosed with actual autism. And then he's now been diagnosed with thrice gifted. So it basically means that he's on the autism spectrum, but he's like highly, highly intelligent, Mm -hmm. which is sometimes very difficult to deal with simply because on some, in some ways, socially, he's neurologically so behind. And then in other ways, he's so advanced and you're constantly having to parent like to two really extreme ends of the spectrum. That makes so much sense. So what do you feel like, um, what do you feel like you've learned from being a mom of someone who has just different challenges, but also different gifts? Um, I definitely have learned to never judge anybody because you do not know what people are going through. Um, and especially, I mean, I I was that mom, I'm going to be honest. When I had my first four, I was blessed with really good kids. And I remember sitting in church and thinking like, if they would just parent, 
their kids wouldn't be (laughs) misbehaving, you know, like, I don't know why this is so hard. And then we got Dax and it was like, every rule went out the window. Everything we tried with him didn't work. You know, it didn't matter what we were doing. It just wasn't going to stick. And so after that, I just thought I will never again, judge another parent who is struggling with a child in a store or in a car or anything like that. Cause you just never know what is happening with that parent. Yeah. What are some of the tender things that you have gotten out of this or things that you've learned as a mom, as an autism mom? Um, definitely the beauty that is a special needs child, right? Like they, they can be extremely challenging and sometimes frustrating and exhausting, but at the same time, like the magic of what they're thinking and the things they're learning, I've definitely had to become a better parent. I parent him very differently than I parent my other children. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't had him, like, I feel like I'm a lot better and more well-rounded with him in the family because of the ways he just learns differently. So we have to speak to him differently. We have to parent him differently. And without him, we wouldn't have known any of that stuff. So it's been really good for our entire family. We definitely have a very big appreciation for all special needs kids and kids that are on the spectrum in general and a love for the magic that they are, despite sometimes the frustration that they are. Right, right. Um, How do your kids deal with Daxton and how is that how is that relationship with all of them and him? I think it's like any other family dynamic. I mean, there are days when they're totally annoyed with what's happening, especially if he's requiring a lot of time or attention, which sometimes Mm -hmm. does happen based on what's happening with him. Um, They can feel a little like gypped, you know, like, where's my mom? She's always with him or, you know, they're always at some doctor's appointment or whatever. And it'd be really nice if she was at my game and she's not. But, um, at the end of the day, like I've seen over and over and over again, like if other people are talking about, um, kids on the spectrum or teasing Dax, like I've never seen claws come out. Like I do on the girls, you know, in Mm -hmm. support of him, like just don't even try it. Cause they would be the first ones to just be like, "Uh uh-uh, you're not messing with our brother, you know? So it's very sweet to see that happening. Just that very natural dynamic. Yeah. That's so sweet. And I feel like, um, in just my small observations, watching your family on stories and stuff, I feel like I've seen that, that just like that real, really sweet love that the sisters have for him. So what do you feel like you wish you would have known starting out as an autism mom or even just like a mom of six kids? What do you feel like you wish you could have told your younger mom self? I think I would have wished that I wouldn't maybe have been so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it's, there's no parenting manual in general. And well, like, well. <laughs> there's viral parenting, which is a pretty good parenting uh, manual for being honest, yeah. your book. But your kids don't come with manuals, right? Correct. And you're learning as they're learning. And I think that m- the mom guilt is real, you yes. know, and we just always feel bad. And I just remember a lot of nights still have a lot of nights where you just get to the end of the day and you're like, I sucked today, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't hug my kids long enough. I ignored Daxton when he was talking to me. I was on the phone too much for work or whatever. And you just feel that constant pull and push and frustrations. And sometimes you just like, I wish I would have known not to have been so hard on myself. 
That's such Still good and telling myself that. Still yes. telling myself. Yes. Well, and I mean, I was at our 12-step meeting last night and there was a mom who broke down and she's got two toddlers and talked about, and she just cried like real tears about feeling like a terrible mom because she's has a hard time being patient with her kids. And I just was like, feeling for her because I know exactly how that feels. And I remember feeling horrible as a mom to um, to little kids when I was first doing my blog and especially when that shift happened where I became kind of the breadwinner for a little bit mm-hmm. while Neil was trying to find a job when he lost his job and feeling super guilty about sticking my kids in front of a TV while I worked. And one of my friends said to me, Corinne, you would feel this same amount of mom guilt Even if you had the typical traditional setup where you were a stay-at-home mom all day and your husband was working full-time and you weren't doing any of this, like, it's just inevitable no matter what kind of mom you are, what kind of situation your family has. And that was really helpful and validating for me to hear. And um, so what do you do? What what pulls you out of that? What's your go-to when you're feeling like that extreme mom guilt that we all feel? I think just taking it back to what matters most, which is for me, my family. So when I'm feeling that just taking a day to just kind of put things away or just focus on the kids a little bit more the next Mm -hmm. day or to focus if I'm feeling like I'm the problem because I'm not recharging my own batteries, taking the time to, you know, take the bath in the evening instead of stressing about the next thing. And just, I've gotten better over the years. I think when I was younger, I... I would have been more apt to have yelled or screamed or had a, had a temper tantrum, you know, cause when you're feeling all of this anxiety and emotions, the way people a lot of times manifest it is outward, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're angry and you're yelling or you're frustrated and you're not necessarily nice to the people around you. And I think that I've gotten a lot better over the years at recognizing like that feeling of turmoil within myself. I've just gotten better about walking away and giving myself the time to meditate or read your scriptures or whatever it is for you personally that brings you from that high place of anger and feelings and all these emotions and grounds you back down, you know? And then it's like, then you go back to the family and put yourself out again. Yeah. Putting on your own oxygen mask. It's super important. Yep. I think a lot of moms forget that. I forget it sometimes where I just feel like my brain is so wired at the end of the day from doing so much and trying to take on so much that I'm like, okay, I've, I've got to take a step back and be a little bit more of a human and not so much of a trying to be the energizer bunny for everyone and everything around right. me. Right. So I think that's super relatable for all moms. Just don't compare yourself. Yes. Like everybody has a different speed, you know, some, and, and ever, I even think your speeds change through your life. Like some years you're cruising along just fine. And then you hit a speed bump and you're, you know, wait, you're like, flattened out for a little while and your speed has to slow down and then it picks back up. So it's just best to like stay in your lane and ignore everybody else around you. Like don't get caught up in she's doing better than I am, but she looks prettier than I am. Just do you. Yes, that's so true. And your kids aren't looking around at what other moms are doing or what (laughs) they're just looking at you and they love you and they accept you for all of the good things that you have to offer. They're not looking at other moms thinking like, oh, well, I wish my mom was doing that. I just, I never remember doing that as a kid and I don't feel like my kids are, but I feel like as moms, we're doing that. I agree. I agree. Your kids do it when they're teenagers, but not when they're little. (laughs) When they're teenagers, it turns into like, "Uh uh-uh, her mom lets her stay out past 10 o'clock and that mom lets her kid have a phone at 10. 
you know, or whatever. So what do you do with that? Because I was going to bring that up earlier when we talked about texting. I know that Brooklyn had a little piece of your book where she said, I don't really like it. So when you read her texts or whatever. So how do you deal with not being the popular mom or not giving your kids literally everything they ask for? Um, I mean, Sean and I are just really like frank with them. We're just like, shoot, what a bummer. Like, it's too bad that you don't live in their family, you know, bummer. (laughs) Oh, well, well, like, what do you want me to do? And actually, I mean, my mom would told me one time, the best thing that can happen to your, you as a mom is if your kids have friends whose parents are stricter than you, which is so true. So it's like, it's so true because if you're the strictest one, you know, then you get like all the complaints. But if you're like the one that's not as strict, then I mean, you just have to choose your battles. Ultimately, you just have to pick your battles. It's like, Hey, I'm going to make a fight of this, but maybe I give in a little bit over here. If the kid's constantly complaining about it. Yeah. That's great advice. So I feel like we've gone through so many different topics and great, great tips and wisdom that you have for all of the moms listening to this. Um, so I have one last question for you. And that is if there's one message that the mom listening to this, probably in her pajamas, probably exhausted. If there's one message that she remembers from this, what do you want that one message to be? Just be kinder to yourself. Just be kinder to yourself. I love that. I need that. I need to remember that too. So, okay. Well, thank you so much, Mindy, for all the wisdom you've shared and um, for opening up and just teaching us so many things that you've learned along the way. Where can people find you? Where can people find your book and read and learn more of these tips and learn more from you? The book sold at all major book retailers. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any of those. Um, And they can find me on Instagram at Mindy McKnight or on YouTube at Cute Girls Hairstyles. Okay, awesome. And we'll put a link to all of those things in our show notes. So thanks thanks again for taking the time to be here. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.